Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. We've covered Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Israel Independence Day from a bunch of different angles over the years. And we recently heard from a really interesting guy that we thought would be the perfect person to bring on here to celebrate Israel. Um, his name is Lieutenant Aston Bright of the Plantation Fire Department. He is a pro-Israel advocate and speaker. Um, and as I was saying to uh, Lieutenant Bright before uh, we started recording, Jews don't have so many friends in the world. Um, and to you know meet an ally um, who you know has put himself out there to stand with our people. Um, we just I had to have you on. I had to talk to you. Um, and to first of all, just to thank you before we even begin. Um, thank you for speaking up for our people. It's getting more and more treacherous by the day. Um, to even like justify that Israel should exist. Um, so thank you just to begin with, first of all, for your service um, as a firefighter um, and also for your solidarity with the Jewish people. Listen, it's absolutely my pleasure, Allison, and thank you for having me. And, you know, I live in South Florida, which, uh, you know, Day Brown, Palm Beach County, which is basically like the sixth borough of New York City. So we, we have, a, Jews have a lot of friends down here in South Florida. So I just happen to be among one of them. Awesome. All right, so start us off here um, with where did you grow up? How did you grow up? Did you grow up around Jews? Kind of, you know, what was your interaction with uh, the Jewish community in your youth? So um, born and reared in uh, Fort Lauderdale, which is, um, uh, I mean, I, I now live in Plantation, which is just west of Fort Lauderdale, just north of Miami, south of Boca Raton. So I live in the South Florida area and I went to a school, um, it was a public school, but it was run like a private school called Nova. So there were two elementary schools, a middle school and a high school. And I'd say about 40% of the, of the population was Jewish, hmm. uh, which is not a reflection of the population of Jews in general, as you know, Jews are less than probably 1% of the population. Um, so Jews were overrepresented in, in the school and I became friends with, uh, I had a lot of Jewish friends from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. Some of us went on to the University of Florida together. So um, I grew up around um, a lot of different um, Jewish cultures and traditions. And so I'm very well acclimated with, uh, with Jewish culture. And, and that's kind of how it started. So I just want to point out that I was raised in a town with almost no Jews. Um, mm -hmm. And so you went to school with a whole lot more Jews than I did, which is just very interesting to think about the experience of your average Jew in a public school, unless they're in one of these areas with a big representation of Jews. Um, I was the only Jewish girl in my grade for most of my time from wow. you know, first through eighth grade. Um, and that was a lonely experience. Um, so it's hmm. interesting for me to be like, what was it like going to school with so many Jews? Um, and then what, what about Israel? Where, where did the Israel piece um, come in? When did you start learning about it? When did you start learning um, that people maybe have some misinformation about Israel? So there was a, there's actually two components to that. The first component happened with a friend who I met in kindergarten. Her name is Wendy Doan. Uh, Wendy and I went to school at Nova Blanche Foreman together. And then in middle school, she had this bracelet. And that was my first introduction really to Israel. And I learned about Israel in like Bible school, um, but it was more about the Israelites and Hebrews. It wasn't really so much about Israel per se, but Wendy Doan was um, my first introduction to Israel and Jewish activism. She had a, um, a bracelet with the name of a, uh, a refusenik from Russia that mm. sort of was, she was paired up with. And when she had her, um, her uh, bat mitzvah, um, 
she, um, or is it bar mitzvah? Sorry, bat mitzvah, bat, yes. Bat, you got it, yeah. mitzvah, yes, when she had her bat mitzvah, it was as though the, the, the girl from Russia that she was paired with uh, was up there with her. So there was this whole thing. And she explained it all to me. And that was kind of like the first time I ever heard of like this kind of activism. You know, I grew up in a Baptist church. We didn't have like, we didn't have bracelets with people's names on it who were being held hostage places. And so it was just so, it was just such a foreign idea to me and such a foreign concept. But Wendy Doan, when I was probably 12, 13 years old, she's the first one who ever sort of introduced anything like that to me. Um, and then as I got older, I met, met and I knew many, many other Jewish people, but I was also very close with another very good friend of mine, Michael Yavner, who is still to this day, my best friend. And he's the one who told me about this program that they were looking for firefighters to go to Israel. Hmm. And it was so, it was just so random. I was driving on 95 and I just got this call from him and said, Hey, you know, uh, my buddy Brian Stralis from the Jewish Federation, they're looking for firefighters. Would you be interested in being a fire, going to Israel as a firefighter? And I didn't even know if it cost anything. I didn't know what was involved. I was like, absolutely, I would love to do that. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even know what I was getting myself into. Uh, I probably should have like dug into it a little bit more, but immediately I was like, I want to, I want to help. I want to do this. And that's, that's kind of how, that's how it started. That's how it started. And it just kind of grew from there. It's, so it's what, been amazing. Yeah, what um, what did you think about Israel before you got there? And what uh, what surprised you? What was your reaction like? What was that like getting going to Israel the first time? Wow, um, I have to tell you, going there the first time, Israel was absolutely nothing like I thought it was going to be like, because you just hear about like war and like conflict and fighting and just, they're so dangerous and there's, you know, bombings and stabbings. But when I got there, I just saw this magnificent place in the middle of the desert, by the way, they, they built this beautiful garden in the middle of the desert. The people were just amazing. They just couldn't believe that we, that we were there, that Americans had come to Israel to help them. It was just the outpouring of love and support and they're Jewish. So of course it was a lot of food, you know, the food, it was just, unbelievable how much we would be eating breakfast and they're cleaning up and someone's already asking hey you know what are we having for lunch i mean it was just amazing and the shashuka and oh i didn't want to leave it was great i absolutely had the greatest time um it was very different than what i'm used to but it was a truly incredible experience uh there was uh, an incident that happened when i was here when like the day i landed i think there was like a, they found a bomb in a tunnel or something and there were a few little incidents, but hey, listen, I live in South Florida. Miami's dangerous. Every every place has a little bit of danger. So right. I'm kind of used to it. So what went from hearing about activism, visiting Israel, and then now deciding you're not just going to sort of like Israel as a, a visitor, but now start to uh, speak up for Israel? Did you start to educate yourself more on, I guess, some of the issues that come up when people discuss Israel? So I was acclimated with a lot of the issues uh, from the political standpoint, just because um, when I was in high school, I was a debater in high school. So I used to have to study and, and learn about different topics and like the PLO and a lot of the different issues that were going on in, in the, I'm a lot older than I look in the eighties. You know, I was in high school in the eighties. I'm a lot older than I look. I'm black. I could be 30, I could be 80. No one has any idea how old I am. Amazing, really incredible. <laughs> 
So I, I knew a little bit about the political situation there, but it was much more complicated than I realized. We had a briefing. So let me back up. Michael Yavin introduced me to this organization through the Jewish Federation. It's a, a Jerusalem-based uh, nonprofit started by uh, Israeli first responders called the Emergency Volunteers Project. They come to the United States and they recruit and train American firefighters to send to Israel in times of war or crisis or anything like that. So that's the organization that deploys Americans to Israel. Hmm. And, and as part of the training, we had to go through a whole training where they brought over Israeli firefighters. They brought over people from uh, the Israeli government, from the military. Um, some of them, I think, were Mossad. I, I don't know. But they did this whole presentation for us. And they talked about the political situation. We learned their equipment. We learned about their tactics. We had a practical day where we actually put our hands on their equipment. They brought the equipment over here for the firefighters, for us to, to use their equipment and learn how to use their hoses are different. Um, some of the equipment's a little different. And um, so that's that's kind of that's kind of how it started. But the idea of this organization is that when when there's a national crisis in Israel, a war, or any kind of very large scale natural disaster, Israel's resources are consumed very quickly. And that's the reason why they have this program where we can be deployed to Israel within about 72 hours on a moment's notice. And there's about 400 American firefighters uh, a part of this program. So smart. Okay, so you're part of this program, and then when does it start to become, and you're already a natural debater, so where do you go from this to now it's time to speak on Israel's behalf? So the last time I was in Israel, um, being deployed as a EVP firefighter. Wait, so how many before, times have you been deployed? Was this, is I've, been de I've been there twice. I've been deployed oh. twice. So I was in Jerusalem at one deployment, and then I was in the Negev in 2018 during all those kite and balloon fires along the Gaza Strip. So when we were deployed there, um, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. We were in an armor-plated bulletproof fire engine. We had to wear ballistic helmets and bulletproof vests while we're fighting fires. I mean, it was, I've never seen anything like it. And um, we were fighting this fire in the little uh, DMZ between Gaza and Israel. And all of a sudden the IDF made an announcement that they spotted some uh, possible Hamas snipers or something in Gaza. So we had to take cover behind the the fire truck, which is almost, which is like a tank basically. So when you don't put water in a fire, it doubles in size every 90 seconds. So we're no longer fighting this fire. And so now it's starting to grow and the wind is blowing. So there's smoke and ash and it's really hot. <laughs> and we're huddled behind this fire engine. And I look over to my buddies from Texas and I was like, this was not in the brochure. You know, I was like, nobody told me anything about having to get behind a, a fire engine and snipers. So. It was in those some of those moments where I was like, I wasn't really sure what I got myself into, but I have to tell you, just <laughs> fighting fires alongside the Israelis and the IDF, um, it was just absolutely an incredible experience. I highly advise anyone who can go there to go. But what I was trying to get to is the commissioner of the Israel Fire Rescue Services had a big meeting after that big fire. And we were just getting ready to um, the transition out of Israel and roll out. And he he asked us, his name is Didi Shmicki, and he is, um, uh, Israel has a, a national fire service. So it's not like the United States where every municipality has their own fire company. In Israel, it's nationalized. So there's like the IDF and then there's the Israel Fire and Rescue Service. So it's like kind of like the army, a firefighter army. And he basically said, hey, listen, when you guys go back home, can you please 
share with everyone about your experiences? Will you tell everybody about what's going on here? And I really took that to heart. I mm. took that to heart. And when I came back, um, actually, even before I came back, I did an interview after uh, another fire in Israel that was broadcast on Israeli television. And some organizations in America saw those interviews and they reached out to me even before I got back into the States asking, hey, we'd love to meet with you when you come back and thank you for what you're doing over there. And that's that's kind of how it started. And then I started speaking for uh, APAC and uh, the Jewish Federation and the JNF and uh, the UJA in New York and just a bunch of organizations. And that's that's kind of how it started. Then, of course, COVID came and kind of shut it all down. So there's like, a lot of ground to now make up. On so, okay, so I want to go back to that point where you're, you know, sort of in the middle of this war zone. And I know you're saying you didn't quite, you know, um, uh, know what you were getting into like that, but you did know that you were going in to fight fires, which that in itself is quite dangerous. And you did know going in that um, there are terror attacks in this country. So um, I totally appreciate that you did this, that you do this, but why were you willing to, put your life on the line for like a different people. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable, but like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, why? Like, where does that come from? Sure, sure. Uh, th that's actually a great question. And uh, what's interesting is the firefighters there, the first time I got the fire engine, I noticed that the officer was carrying a, a, a 45 Magnum handgun on his belt, which is another thing that firefighters aren't armed here in the United States. And so I asked him, I said, hey, Cap, you know, why do you guys carry guns? And he looked at me and he just said, terrorist and he didn't need to say anything else I was like all right you know what I, I totally got I totally get it and every time we went to a call the IDF would show up the police would show up EMS so medical would be there and then we would be there Every, everybody goes to all the calls and it's just so it's so unbelievable if you understand and know about the fire service kind of what we do that is so extraordinary just the logistics of that is just really incredible but to get back to your question of why would I do this? And it really goes back to growing up in, in this community with my, my Jewish friends, Wendy Doan and Michael Yabner and, and Michael Wurdenberg, all my buddies who I grew up with, these are like my family, you know, they're mishpucha basically. So for me, it is, these are like my people. I have a deep connection with these people who I grew up with and their homeland country. There's only one Jewish homeland. You know, there are, yeah, dozens just, of countries based on religion there's one a, there's only one so i recently met a non-jewish black woman um we're, we're doing work now in the entertainment space and i met her um from one of the studios and she said she's growing up in the south her mother couldn't get her and her siblings into kind of i guess a regular white christian camp and she had the idea to call a jewish camp and see if they would take some black kids there and they okay. open arms and Amazing. She said these are her best friends for life um, and she feels Amazing. just as you describe right now, um, they took her in and, you know, that's not to say that there's no racism that exists in the Jewish community. I, you know, that's certainly not true. Um, but it's there's so a lot of judgment, but no racism. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately I have heard that such, that such <laughs> examples exist, but what I'm saying from my perspective, it's so nice to hear, um, how, you know, the Jewish community has welcomed in non-Jewish people, you know, people of color, um, you know, and I think what we gain from that is um, lifelong friends and allies and mishpacha, exactly what you're saying. So, um, and there Absolutely. are so, there's so few of us 
Um, you know, also at this meeting, an Asian woman mentioned that where she was living in Texas doesn't have so many Asians. So she's going to move to this location because there's strength in numbers. And I'm like, there's no strength in numbers for Jews outside of no. Israel. And, and I guess maybe no. South Florida where you are, except for South Florida. <laughs> it's, um, look, it, it is a precarious place to, to exist in. Um, and it's so, um, important for us to have people outside the community, um, you know, having our back. So did you educate yourself as an Israel speaker, you know, speaking on these different platforms, did you have to go through the different issues and understand what the accusations are about Israel, how we respond? I mean, I think one question that comes to mind is the accusation of apartheid. Um, you know, as sure. a black man, I'm so curious. Um, what do you say to that? What do you think about that accusation? How do you respond? Well, I, I think that's it's a very um, it's a very disgusting accusation uh, to make about Israel because if you know anything about apartheid, uh, you'll know that Israel doesn't even remotely come close to an apartheid. Um, number one, uh, you have um, uh, you have Palestinian and Arab Muslims who are citizens of Israel. They're in the parliament. They even they're on the Supreme Court. They're judges. So. The idea that Israel is an apartheid state is complete, completely ludicrous. I've been into uh, the West Bank. I've been into Akko. I've been into mixed neighborhoods where there are Palestinians and Israelis living together very peacefully. And if you ask a lot of the Palestinians and, and other people from come from other countries who come to live in, in, in Israel, do you want to live in the Jewish controlled areas or do you want to live in the Palestinian controlled areas? And they'll, they'll tell you they want to live in the Israeli areas. There's transportation and there's healthcare. Uh, it's their safety, there's their jobs. Um, so this, and it's not based on your religion and, and it's, it has nothing to do with your religion. It just has to do with the, you live in Israel. And it's the same thing with the Israeli defense forces. I have a friend who's a major in, in the IDF and he told me, he said, listen, the thing people don't understand is the IDF is about protecting anyone who lives in Israel. It doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't, it's not the Jewish defense forces. It's the Israeli defense forces, and it's to protect the state of Israel and everyone who lives there. So Israel, most people don't know this, is the second most diverse country so far as foreign-born residents, only behind Australia. Yeah. And Israel, um, their immigration really uh, went into hyperdrive in the early 2000s. And since, 2000, since about 2001 to today, their GDP has more than doubled while yeah. welcoming in so many uh, foreigners who've, who've come in and who've helped to contribute to Israel, who leads in um, technology and defense and healthcare, and um, they're just an incubator of incredible businesses. You know, it's it's the startup nation. So I think that having that kind of diversity is not something that a country that's an apartheid would would be doing. They'd be trying to keep everyone out. They would want to sort of control their their power, and Israel is a uh, is a living, breathing democracy. And interestingly enough, Israel is one of the only democracies that doesn't have a constitution, which a lot of people don't realize. And yet, they exist and function as a as a wonderful example in the Middle East, unlike any other country that is within you know seven, eight hundred, a thousand miles. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing it's an amazing place. We love it. Our our oldest maid, Aliyah, um, she moved to Israel last year. Oh. We have our next daughter is planning to go next year and she's planning Wonderful. to um, So our family is definitely um, being pulled eastward. And I Wonderful. went to Israel for the first time when I was 13. Um, and like I said, describing before, being one of the only Jewish kids in school growing up, 
going to a place where the taxi driver and the waiter and kind of everyone around yes. that sort of sense of extended family um, is sort of a comfort and the familiarity that it's hard to put into words, which leads me to my next question, which is um, Jews as white uh, European colonizers colonizing a land they're not connected to. Is that a claim that you have to, um, you know, combat or, you know, push back at when people have that misunderstanding? You know, the, the misunderstandings about Israel actually are uh, so deep and it goes back even farther than that. Um, a lot of it has to do, uh, you know, starting, you know, you know, around 70 AD with the destruction of the temple and things started then. And then you started to have uh, in, 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 in Christianity, you had the writing of the gospels uh, and everyone started to sort of veer off and veer away from the Jewish people because they always sort of saw Jews as different. They were eating different foods. They kind of all stuck together. Um, and so it, it created this, it, it created these, this, this, this level of ignorance about Jewish people and about Jewish culture that unfortunately it's like a game of telephone. As time continued to go on, the different things just would get worse and worse and worse and the stories are getting worse and worse and worse. And so you got today, people openly talking about all these crazy things about Jews and of course, none of it's true. It's, it's ignorance, which is why it's important for folks like myself and many others to be out there fighting and pushing back against this because people have to understand that ignorance really is, is drives this. People just, mm -hmm. and, and, and ignorance a lot of time is used as a bad word. It's not, ignorance means a lack of knowledge. So people just have to be educated. People have to know and understand all of the amazing things that um, Israel and the Jewish people have done for the world that make up less than one or 2% of the population, the 40% of Nobel Prize laureates. Um, I mean, and then here in the United States, there isn't a single congressional district that is a Jewish majority. Mm. Not one, there's not a single congressional district in the United States that has a Jewish majority. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done and outreach and allyship is really gonna be the way to sort of turn the tide on just the really just terrible things that have been happening and, and just with Kanye and all these crazy things that have been going on. There's just a lot of work left to do, which is part of the reason why I'm I'm out here working and speaking. I was just at a uh, anti-Semitism event and uh, at the EU parliament in Strasbourg, France. I was invited to participate in that event. And I at that time I, I spoke about how it's my job really to speak around the world to fight anti-Semitism, Holocaust denial, um, and uh, BDS around the world. And that's what I that's what I'll continue to do. Amazing. I, I had an interaction with um an an anti-Israel person online who told me that Israel has um taught um black oh no, sorry, sorry, taught police officers in, in America how to be brutal, how to uh, do police brutality. Um and it's just like so insane how many things get blamed on the Jews for. Um and I think it's it's so upsetting to try to co-opt someone else's fight or like a, a totally not connected issue somewhere else um, and somehow, you know, say that the Jews also, I think he said Jews are starting wars in Africa, just like, I mean, I guess that's just sort of what happens around Jews. Um, what about, did you see the movie You People? Is that anything that you uh, engaged with or, or paid any attention to? I haven't seen You People, um, but I, I often hear the accusations, especially and what I really, what really hurts me is to see 
uh, like younger black people or some younger people in the black community who don't know and understand the history between the Jewish community and the black community. Uh, many of the amicus briefs written in the beginning of the civil rights movement were written by Jewish law students, the freedom riders who were riding on the buses to, to break down the uh, atrocity of segregation in the South were Jewish law students. The Mississippi burning case, two of the three people were killed were Jewish law students. And Dr. Martin Luther King's, one of his best allies uh, was a Jewish rabbi, uh, Rabbi Herschel. And 10 days before Martin Luther King was assassinated, he was speaking at the National Association of Rabbinical Assembly in New York to hundred rabbis. A lot of people don't know that. 10 days before he was assassinated. And he was there uh, and he, he recalled the, the rabbis that were there, friends, uh, friends of a common good. So he had a very deep um, and a mutual respect for the rabbinical um, assembly as well as the Jewish people. So the black community and Jewish community have always been natural allies. I think there's just, uh, again, a very high level of ignorance, especially with younger people who don't know the history and they believe all of the, just the crazy and nonsensical um, anti-Semitism and stories that they're hearing out there about starting wars in Africa and doing all these things. I mean, it's just, it's absolute madness. So we have to continue to push back against them. You said you're talking to Jewish groups. I'm wondering, would you, is there an opportunity for you to speak to black, uh, to black youth? It seems like you, in terms of a leader, um, and in terms of clearing up messages that may have gotten into the community, because I agree, such natural allies. I just did a roundtable event with Jewish and Black leaders in Brooklyn, um, and I learned that there was, I guess, maybe Howard University um, hired Jewish professors from Europe to save them from the Holocaust. So I'd heard about oh. Jews helping Blacks with segregation. It was so heartwarming to hear about, you know, um, a Black university saving Jews from uh, from Hitler. Amazing. Is there opportunities for you to speak, you know, within your own community to to get these sort of conspiracy theories out there so they can be, you know, challenged and, you know, put to bed? 100 uh, percent. That's actually was some of the things I was doing right before the pandemic happened. I was working on doing some uh, college tours as well as some high school presentations. I mean, I speak on the home courts. I speak at Jewish day schools and synagogues and Shabbat dinners. And I'm invited to all kinds, you know, Jews love to eat, they're inviting me to everything. So I get invited to all those things. But Amazing. around 2019, end of 2019, early 2020, I was in the process of getting ready to do some college um, tours. I'm writing a book, which is gonna be to that end to help bridge that gap. And then of course, you know, COVID happens and shuts everything down. Um, I had invitations from Harvard and University of Georgia, University of Florida, uh, Howard, Spellman, I mean, all of these places wanted me to come. So I'm reconstituting a lot of that. I will be getting back out on the road um, to, to definitely get in front of a lot of those audiences. I need to get, I will continue to speak at the, at the Jewish audiences, but I need to get into, um, that, into that, that broader audience because that's really where a lot of the, the work really needs to be done in that, in that secular uh, side of the communities to really help the process because because I'm not Jewish, it actually is an advantage because if I was Jewish, people would say, well, of course he's saying these things, he, you know, he's right. Jewish, but, but I'm not Jewish, you know, yeah. even though I know I probably look Jewish, but, you know, um, so I can get out there and I think my message resonates and the attacks that most people typically will use against a pro-Israel speaker, they don't work on me because again, I'm not Jewish. So they can't use the same nonsense against me. So I have a little bit of a, an inoculation against that. And I think I can, I think I can do some good and I think I can help. Well, um, I mean, 
we will be praying for you. Um, and thank you. I'm I appreciate that. Thinking, I'm already thinking um, of where we can connect you. Uh, your voice definitely needs to be amplified. Um, it's clear. It's uh, brave. It's courageous. Um, and you know, the world in general needs more people like you to. And you said before we started recording that you're a person of action. I consider myself to be <laughs> as well. Um, but yeah, your moral clarity and courage um, is just so important because there's so much wrong information out there. It is so easy for people to uh, imbibe it, um, be misinformed, yes. use that to fuel hatred um, and possibly violence. Um, and just thank you for, for doing all this. And I will definitely give this some thought and continue to be in touch offline to help that you sounds great. continue to spread your light. I, I really appreciate that. And I also would like to say that, you know, my fire department, um, the plantation fire department, our fire chief, Don Todd, our, our, my city is a thousand percent behind me. Um, the first time I was going to go to Israel, I was getting calls from the mayor, fire chief, the deputy chiefs. They were like, what do you need? You know, what, what resources do you need? Some other firefighters who were coming from other parts of the country, they weren't allowed to wear their uniforms. They weren't allowed to say even what departments they were with. Their cities wow. would not allow them to do that, which to me was shocking. I was shocked by that, honestly, um, especially because my situation was the complete opposite where my city and my fire chief, everybody was behind me like, hey, what do you need? And so City Plantation, we're all about it. And we're big supporters of the Jewish community, our friends. And um, we're going to be here to continue to fight this fight. And you always will have an ally here with uh, with me. I'll always be here. By the way, I love I just I love uh, I love your website. By the way, I didn't even mention that. But your <laughs> your website is great. You. Join the city. I like that. I like that name. It's great. We try. We try. <laughs> All right. Well, we will stay in touch. And thank you so much for your support. It is so heartwarming. Um, and thank you all for watching. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye bye. Shalom.